Thank you, Dr. Joseph Ozine, for setting some things straight for us. Because when I got my degree from Facebook Medical School, <laughs> what you just said contradicts what I gained from that institution. So I just want to thank you. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? And as I pray for us, I am mindful that many of us are unstable. We're being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and opinion that's out here. And it's a shame how politics can be so divisive that it would cause many of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to neglect, ignore, deny, deflect real causes and even death from this virus. That many are so bound by these kinds of traditions that they can't see what their brothers and sisters are going through. Because it's more about winning arguments than it is about winning people and winning souls. And we're caught up in this fray, but we have come into the house of the Lord that God may stabilize where we are unstable. That he'll give us a sure word, a solid word, a clear word to help us gain our footing again. There's a reason why when we put on the armor of God that the shoes are called the gospel shoes. The gospel shoes of peace. Because your shoes as a soldier were to keep you anchored and stabilized. Your footing was to be sure. And for us, the gospel, the good news that we have a good, good father who loves us, made a way for us to be right with him, to be adopted as his sons and daughters, forgiven of every sin we have ever committed and will commit the good news that we serve a resurrected Savior who is alive and well. He is not dead. Death could not hold him. The good news that death has lost its sting and the grave has no victory. The good news that we're in Christ. And so when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we by faith believe the message of hope, it stabilizes us and our footing is sure. And it gives us peace. So today as your pastor, I'm here to just remind you of who you are and whose you are. Let's pray. Daddy, my God, thank you. Thank you for what your son said. That in this life, you will have tribulation. So being a Christian doesn't mean that we will 
miss out on trials and tribulations and struggles. No, we just know who to go to when we have these things, these storms hit us. We, we go to you because it's through you that we overcome because you overcame. You give us hope as children of faith who walk by faith and not by sight. Who don't look at things in the natural realm exclusively because those things are temporary and they're passing away. But Lord, give us eyes, eyes of faith to look into the eternal, to the eternal one, to see the things that do not pass away, the things that matter most. That our citizenship is above, that we're in this earth, but we're not of this earth. We're born again, we're born from above. So now, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you stabilize us? Would you strengthen us? Would you remind us of who we are and who you are? Thank you so much for the victory that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. Our labor is not in vain. Our work is not in vain. For those who need wisdom today, would you give it? For those who need comfort in their bodies, would you give it? For those who have broken relationships, would you heal them? For those who need provision, Lord, would they know you as Jonathan prayed, as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. But a lot of times, Lord, it's about timing. Help us to wait on you. Thank you, God. Now help me preach. I cannot do this without you, but I'm so glad that I can do it with you. Lord, bring fruit from this word today. We give you glory for what you're going to do. Open up our ears and our hearts and our minds and, and what we thought we know, knew. I pray that we'll be re-educated today to get a fresh word from you. We need a fresh word. And we thank you for it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hicks. Thank you, man. And, and worship team, thank you for flowing in the spirit. Um, man devises the way, but God directs the steps. You know, there, there, there's a jazz in worship where you get free because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And man, that childhood song about took us out up in here. I didn't know if Chance was about to kick some of them new cowboy boots he got on over here. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God's in the simple. You know, the simple can be profound. The fact that he loves me. We're going to be singing it all week. I said, I'm going to have to go get the Whitney Houston version. Or, my God, thank you, Jesus. He loves, that's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. <laughs> but I need to introduce you to a friend of mine as I begin this sermon today. As a friend. And so, fellas, would you put the picture of my friend on the screen? I want to introduce you to the Indominus Rex. Ah, please meet my friend, the Indominus Rex. This creature is a hybrid dinosaur created from the DNA of other species. The Indominus Rex, also known as an Indoraptor, was designed to be a creature of the future made from pieces of the past. I know just looking at the, this raptor here, this Indoraptor causes some level of concern and fear, and rightly so. But, but here's the good news. The good news is that 
Indoraptors are fictional creatures, meaning that they ain't real. Bad English, good theology. Uh, uh, that they are fictional creatures found in the movie Jurassic World Hidden Kingdom. The Indo Indoraptor, the Indominus Rex, they aren't real. But what they show us is what a hybrid looks like. A hybrid is a new thing that comes from combining two different things. I'm going to say it again. A hybrid is a new thing that comes from combining two different things. And I remember when I first heard about a hybrid car. Because hybrid was just not a word that was in my everyday vocabulary. But when I heard about a hybrid car, I realized that it was a combination of two things, uh, electricity and fuel. And thus it had two engines, one that could handle and run by electricity and one that could handle and run by gasoline. These two were combined, conjoined into one automobile. And some of us have hybrid cars. Uh, we have telephones or cell phones that are hybrids because the phone not only allows you to speak but now it has in it a camera and the ability to film it's a computer it's so many things encased in one so our phones are hybrids but I just stopped by today in this rainy morning of August to say that life is a hybrid Life is a hybrid because it constantly combines different experiences and emotions into one journey. We're in a journey, each one of us is. And within that journey, there will be a hybrid of experiences and emotions working in your one life journey. And so therefore, I'm going to entitle this message today, Life is a holy hybrid. Yes, it is. Life is a holy hybrid. And we see this holy hybrid concept occurring in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But before we get into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let me do my best to give you some of the background to the book of Ecclesiastes. Written by... King Solomon at the end of his life, Ecclesiastes is about how life can be empty. The king of Israel, Solomon, whose name means peace, but he also has another name, Jedidiah, meaning loved of the Lord. So Solomon was loved of the Lord and he had great peace. He was endowed with wisdom from God. He asked God, how he could, or rather God asked him, what do you want from me? And, and, and he said, I need wisdom to lead the people that my, my father David left to me. And God not only gave him wisdom, but God gave him wisdom above and beyond any person who had ever lived. And God not only gave him wisdom, but God gave him riches and wealth greater than any king before or after him. So Solomon was wise, even beyond his own understanding. And it has been said by Hebrew scholars that he wrote three books. Uh, he wrote uh, 
Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote the Song of Solomon. And it's been said that he wrote the Song of Solomon early in his life as a newlywed. Early in his life, he's digging on the Shunammite woman, and this is before 999 other women came into his life. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so he wrote this thing early before he uh, developed that Lay's potato chip philosophy of marriage. You just can't have one. You just can't have one. So homeboy had a thousand. Uh, but he wrote Solomon early when he was a one-woman man. Then he writes Proverbs in the middle of his life. And then when he's old, his body is, you know, gray hair. He can't hear as well. Teeth about to fall out of his mouth. The things he talks about in chapter 12 uh, is at the end of his life. And he's learned a few things the hard way. <laughs> Do we have any folk? Well, don't raise your hand. We've all learned a few things the hard way. And we often say, man, if I knew then when I was a teenager, what I know now as an old ager, my life might be a little bit different. But the good thing about God is that he can still hit a bullseye with a crooked stick. You don't have to go back because crooked crayons still color. He still gets glory from brokenness. But thank God we finally learned. Now, it's a shame when you're old and you still haven't learned yet. But that's a whole nother situation. Let me keep on moving. So he writes this at the end of his life because much, much, much of his life was empty. As the king of Israel, with all of his wealth and all of his wisdom, his life was empty. What he calls in the book, vanity of vanities. Or life was meaningless. Life was frivolous. Life did not matter. It, it was so empty for this king of Israel. And Solomon's life was vain and miserable because his focus was in the wrong place. His focus was in the wrong place. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a recurring phrase that you see over and over and over again. And it's called under the sun. He keeps talking about life under the sun and why he is so miserable with life under the sun and why life is so empty under the sun. And he's going to realize that that has been the problem. His focus has been under the sun. In other words, his focus has been worldly. Uh, uh, he's been looking so much at the natural that it caused him to be tossed to and fro and to come away feeling like life gypped him, robbed him, took advantage of him, and he's just empty and everything is worthless and useless. And I'm here to say it's because of where his focus was, under the sun, under heaven. He uses another term called grasping for the wind. You know, I know one singer said, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind, but that was not the truth for Solomon. He tried to grasp the wind, which is a futile exercise. So everything, his money couldn't get him out of this disposition. Throwing parties, drinking wine, and all that stuff, it could not get him out of this feeling that caused him to say life is miserable, vain, and empty. I'm here to say, that the most miserable people in the world are believers in God whose focus is under the sun. We're miserable. We're tough to live with because our focus is under 
the sun. It's worldly. There's a place for the things of the world, just not first place. And when you make them first place and you know better as someone who trusts in the God who created the sun, the world, the moon, and the stars, who's a little bit higher, but our view just seems to be a little bit lower, a little bit lower, a little bit lower. And then we keep wondering why we're so miserable because we're caught up in the rat race. And we need to be refocused and and get our focus where it needs to be. And in the New Testament, Paul would say in the book of Colossians that we are to set our hope and affections on things above, not on things below, on the earth. And so although we're in this place, we're not of this place. So we must be reminded constantly that we are spiritual people living in a natural world. And, And so Solomon was miserable. The wisest man in the world didn't even follow his own advice for much of his life. The mightiest man in the world was the most miserable man in the world. And the wealthiest man in the world suffered from inner poverty. So Ecclesiastes 3.1, he's called the teacher, the preacher in chapter 1. And we are his congregation, Ecclesiastes, the church The teacher, the preacher, the king, he has a message saying, I need to teach people from my mistakes. Because that's really where wisdom comes from. It's skilled living. It's putting knowledge into practice. And the wisdom really comes when not only you put knowledge into practice, but you learn from your mistakes. So you have a congregation of people listening. And we must humble ourselves and say, let me share with you some of the scars that I got from doing it my way. But I thank God for his grace. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1, hear what the king says to the congregation. He says to everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. He said to everything, there is a season. This means that God is responsible for establishing seasonal routines. To everything, there is a season. Uh, 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 This speaks not only of nature, but also of life, that there are seasons. Genesis chapter 8 explains why God is responsible for the seasons and their changing. Genesis 8.22 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. So this was after the flood and and God let them know that the world is going to go through a process of constant change, of constant seasons. And as I mentioned, nature like life is full of never ending seasonal changes. And sometimes it upsets us because we can't control the season we're in any more than we can control the weather that we face in the day. And the seasons remind us that we are not God and our power is limited. And so we have to trust the one who controls the seasons of life and even of nature. It's as if God locked us all in a cage called life and it's full of ups and downs. It's almost like the hamster running on the proverbial uh, wheel, the spinning wheel. Little homie's just going, 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 and going nowhere. And that's how life feels for some of us. Uh, Monday morning, uh, 
Ooh, rather than a blessing coming out of our mouth. Well, anyway, uh, uh, th- there's this cycle that we get in of ups and downs and good days and bad days. The highest joys and the deepest pains can be felt in the same year. The highest joys and the deepest pains can be felt in the same year, the same month, the same week, even the same day. I had to say to my daughter yesterday, who's having a tough day, she said. I said, yeah, baby, I hear you. But it might be right to say you're having a tough moment in the midst of a good day. Because every day is a gift and everything that comes from God is good. And in the midst of those good days, there are tough, hard moments. But when we speak, we, 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 we use all of this language that, that, that sets the trajectory for how we live. I'm having a bad day. No, you're having a bad moment in the midst of a good day. But it's ups and downs and downs and ups. Frankie Beverly was right. Joy and pain. Okay, that's too old for y'all. I'm bringing up the raw bass. Joy and pain. Y'all might start singing it if I keep going. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but those songs are true, man. Joy and pain, that's life. One good thing about seasons, thank God, is that they all pass. For it came to pass. But don't celebrate too long because another thing about seasons is they return. <laughs> oh, they return now. B- because we're either coming out of a hard season in a hard season, or Deacon Ron, go into a hard season. That's how life is, this monotonous adventure. And speaking of seasons returning, COVID said, I never left y'all. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here the whole year. And we're like, oh, man, I thought it was going to be over. When we were planning as a staff earlier this year, we were thinking like you, by the time we get to the middle of August, end of August, and into the new fiscal year for the church, which starts September 1, and the celebration of our anniversary, and the launching of all of our programs, getting back into the building, doing all the things we used to do, COVID threw us a curveball and said, I'm not gone yet. So it seems that these mundane and monotonous rhythms are designed to get us to look somewhere else. They're designed to get us to look for another experience and dare I say, another world. There must be more to this life than this life. And yet, God wants me to enjoy this life because every day is a gift from him. Solomon is about to present to us the repetitive nature and seasons of life in all of its contrasts. The teacher is about to share with the ecclesia about the repetitive nature and seasons of life and all of its contrasts. He's going to name 28 activities in life from verses 2 through verse 8. He's going to give us 28 activities. And these 28 activities symbolize the full cycle of life. Here's what the teacher is saying. If we take the number 28 and uh, we we look at the fact that 28 activities of life is speaking of totality or a holistic view of life. And, And then if I take the number four, 
which is the number of the earth. So 28 is speaking of the activities of life. He's going to lay out here. And if I go with four, which is the number of the earth. Why is it the number of the earth? Because there are four corners to the earth and four seasons in the earth. So if I take four and multiply by seven, Seven is the day of completion or the, the number of completion. God rested on the sixth day, but we have a seven-day week. And so things were completed. So four and seven, four corners of the earth and seven days completion. You multiply them by each other and you have what? 28. 28 cycles in life. 28. And he's going to give these to us. And according to this list... Life is made up of contrasts and competing opposites. So when we go through this in a moment, what you're going to see is 14 positives, 14 negatives. 28 altogether for the cycle of life, 28, 14 positives, 14 negatives. Once again, this means that life is a holy hybrid full of positive experiences and not so positive experiences. And he's about to lay them down for us. And if life, God's people, is a holy hybrid, so is church life. Okay? If your home is struggling right now with COVID and all the things that are going on in the culture, church home, your church house is also struggling as well. If your leaders in government and in the school system are trying to figure this out and what to do, just realize your pastors and your staff members, we're trying to figure out what to do as well. And what we need from everybody is some patience. Because we've never been this way before. Your leaders, your boss, the people you work with, work for, they've never been through this before. So give some patience to everybody because everybody needs some patience. But the church house is no different than your house. And in Proverbs, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, it reads this way as far as the church being a hybrid. It says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So that means in church, there's a hybrid of experience. There's a hybrid of emotion. We have people who are celebrating. We have people who are mourning. It's not always one way all of the time. We are a mixed community of people, complex individuals who go through a myriad of experiences. So it's not always about me. It's always about my neighbor. And so when one person gets a promotion, we're rejoicing with that person. But when another person in the body loses their job, we're, we're mourning with that person. So there can be simultaneous mourning and rejoicing in a church always, all the time. And so when we get to holidays, I know holidays are tough for many of us because of our experiences. And sometimes if we've had a negative experience with our dads, we don't want to come to church on Father's Day. Or if our mother has passed, we don't want to go to church on Mother's Day. Why? Because you're excited that your mother is alive. I'm not excited because my mother has passed. And we don't know how to work our emotions well enough in order to live together in a diverse community of people with ups, downs, highs, and lows. And a lot of the reason is because our focus is off. If it's not under the sun, it's on us. And many times the issue is you that you're going through. 
You missed it. I said it too fast. The issue is you. And God is trying to break you of you. And one of the best ways to do it is in community. Well, let's go back a little further. In marriage, in family. To break you of you, to realize that there's more to life than you. (laughs) Oh, that was for free. I put it in for free. All right, all right. Let me keep rolling here. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and let's look at how life is a holy hybrid. Let's look at how he's contrasting these opposites. This is going somewhere. Trust me. Verse 2, he says, there is a time to be born and a time to die. So here's the first couplet, to be born. And this was a time we had no control over. We had no control over the day in which we would be born. That was a decision of God. Even if your parents planned to induce labor on a particular day, that day was prepared in advance by God. So there was a time to be born, and then there is a time to die. And most cases, we have no control over this day either. But according to Hebrews 9, we have an appointment with this day unless the Lord should return tonight. We're all going to pass away. We're of ashes and dirt, and we will go back to ashes and dirt. There is a cycle of life. And Psalms 90 says that if you can live three score and 10, that is 70 years, you're doing okay. So there's a time to be born, a time to die. And what is the question of life going on right here when he says a time to be born and a time to die? What's the question? The question is, what are you doing with your life between birth and death. That's what he's asking here. What are you doing with the dash? Because on every tombstone will be a dash. When you were born and when you died and life is lived in the dash, so what are you doing with this gift called life? Then he goes on and he says, again in verse two, there is a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. So we have some opposites here to plant. And the Jewish community loved planting things. They were an agrarian people. They lived by agriculture. And so they set their calendars by the seasons. They knew when it was the best time to plant and then to pluck what is planted. That speaks of to reap the harvest. And so there's a time to put things in the ground. There's a time to take things out of the ground. And the question of life is, are you planting good seeds in life, knowing you will reap what you sow? Because there's a time, now there's a time to sow and to reap. Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6 says that those who go out uh, continually bearing seeds will come again rejoicing, bringing the harvest with them. So we're in seasons of planting, we're in seasons of harvesting. And even in Psalm 126, it says, and when you're in a season of sowing and planting, many times we do it in tears because we just don't know when the harvest is going to come through. We're in a tough situation, but we're planting anyway by faith, trusting God that he's going to bless what I'm putting in the ground. But then thirdly, he says in verse three, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. What is Solomon saying here? Is he encouraging God's people to kill other people? Well, I believe this is not referring to war. 
but it's referring to the results of sickness and plagues in the land that do kill people. So it's not about war and about going out taking matters in your own hand, striking people down, but this is talking about what plagues and uh, famines can do in the land, that sickness and plagues can kill people. There's a time to kill. There's a time when the plague comes. But then there's a time to heal. That is when the plague is lifted. And God is trying to teach us something while we're in the midst of a plague. He's trying to teach us how to pray. And he wants us to ask, Lord, what are you doing? Because he's, try he's always teaching. You think Solomon is a teacher. God is a great teacher. Because within a plague, and even after a plague, God heals, and he permits some to live. So there's a time to kill. Hundreds of thousands of people have died from this pandemic. But then also there's a time to heal when this pandemic, like others in times past, will be lifted. But what will we learn through it all? And that is the question of life. What does God want you to learn when he sends the drought or the plague and does he have your full attention yet? Or are you still focused on things under the earth? But fourth, he says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. This speaks of breaking down buildings and demolishing things of old. To build up speaks of building new buildings and building new things. And the question of life is, what things are you deconstructing in your life? And what things are you constructing? We're always tearing something down and we ought to be building something up. But today we have many Christians who are deconstructing certain matters of the faith. And we should because white supremacy has played a big part in the Christian faith in the West. And many of us are coming into a realization where we're deconstructing many things about racism and white supremacy and the impact that it has had on the church in America, North America. But as we deconstruct, let's make sure we're constructing as well. Just don't tear stuff down. Know how to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Just don't read all the books about being an anti-racist. Make sure you read the book, the word of God, about how to navigate and operate in this earth. So deconstruct as well as construct. Time to break down, a time to build up. Then he says there's a time to weep. And a time to laugh. Somebody's been weeping for a long season. But as we said last week, weeping may endure for a what? Night. But joy is coming. So this weeping season does not have to remain. But okay, I'm in it. It's okay to cry sometimes. My Savior wept. But then also there's a time to laugh. It's okay to laugh. And I'm sure Jesus laughed. Even though it's not recorded, he had to laugh uh, doing life with them dudes, man. He, he had to have some laughs. But the question of life is this. Can you express your emotions in a healthy way? Because when you start weeping, that don't give you permission to just cuss folk out, uh, throw tantrums, put holes in walls, slam doors. And to laugh don't mean you just get to just fall out all over the place and act a fool. So can you express your emotions in a healthy way? Because some of us, man, my daddy didn't cry, I don't cry. You think being a man means you don't cry? That's not healthy, homie. 
But if every time I see you, you crying, that ain't healthy, homie. <laughs> and then some people laugh when they should be crying because they're insecure. And they make jokes about everything when they need to take observation. And so you're not in touch either. But then he goes on to say that there is a time to mourn and a time to dance. I think he says that, let's see here, in verse 4. It's time to mourn. No time to dance. In other words, there's a time to attend a funeral. Mm -hmm. People die. We go to funerals. Then there's a time to dance, which means attending a party. So this means that for us, life will be found at the funeral house and at the party house. But for us, it keeps on breaking down, meaning that we will go to funerals, but also, watch this, wedding receptions where people dance at wedding receptions. In the Hebrew culture, they danced, and in our culture, we do the electric slide. Not electric, but electric slide at a wedding. If you don't do the electric slide, electric slide at a wedding, you really haven't had a wedding. And for my family, okay, this is how real God is with, with, with us in this time, in our journey with him, that of course we just came from a funeral for my mother. But then next month, my oldest daughter, Krista, gets married. And so those who were at the funeral will be at the reception. Those who mourn will dance. Amen. And our, our father-daughter dance. Oh, boy. Y'all got to pray for your pastor. <laughs> huh. uh, uh, it's going to be, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder. Oh, y'all pray for me. Because she'll come in a room carrying a bouquet that she's going to use, and she looks at me to see if I'm going to start crying. I say, come on, girl, you ain't going to break me like that. But she knows I'm going to be broken at some point, and like Elder Clifton, I'm going to have to do double duty on that day next month. I am to walk her down the aisle as her daddy, then turn around and be the officiant and go through the ceremony. Y'all pray for your pastor. But I ain't afraid to weep. And I ain't afraid to laugh and have a good time. All those hybrid emotions are operating inside of me. And we're going to have a good time. I might be like that lady in that movie, uh, was it Picket Fences, where she cried and she had that bubble in her. Anyway, uh, uh, let, let me keep on going. Let me keep on going. Man, I know. And then somebody will take a picture. Look at Pastor. <laughs> Thank you. Then he says... You didn't need that image? Is that what you just said? Okay, I heard. All right. And then there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. In other words, there's a time to clear a place. Why? Because I need to plant something. There's a time to clear a place because I need to build something. Uh, th there's a story when you go on tours in Israel. Many of the tour guides will say, because there are so many rocks in Israel. If you've ever been to Israel, there are rocks everywhere. And it's been said that God gave all the rocks to an angel to dispense them across the four corners of the world. But the angel tripped over Israel and all the stones fell out right there. So when you go to Israel, man, you're stepping on stones everywhere. And there's a time to cast away stones, to clear the stones. And then there's a time to gather stones to retrieve them so that you can build a house or build a wall. And I think the question of life is, can you build something new? And can you build out of the rubble? Nehemiah had to build the wall out of the rubble from the former wall. 
And so sometimes in life, we're building new things with old things. Again, a hybrid, if you will. Then there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing in verse 5. To embrace. In the Near Eastern culture, they would greet one another with a holy hug and a holy kiss. They, they love to hug and to kiss on the cheek. But not only that, not only did you embrace people, you also had to refrain from embracing them, which means you said hello and you also said goodbye. Now, whenever we go to Charleston, South Carolina to see Darina's grandmother and my mother-in-law's mother-in-law, uh, and she's 94, uh, Lena knows this to be true. Whenever we go visit her in her house at 94 years old, and it's time to go. It's always tough to say it's time to go, you know, like because it's usually a year when we see her and, and, and what she always does. She always comes out of the house and stands in the driveway with her 94 year old frame while you pull off and go down the street. She will not go in the house till we way down the street. And it make you feel bad when you're leaving. Like, gee, grandmama, we, we, we gonna come back if the Lord wills. But she's standing right there watching us. It's hard to leave, doc. <laughs> and don't let her bake some biscuits. But anyway. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. Then he says there's a time to gain and a time to lose. To gain is speaking of business and making profit, making money. But then there's also a time to lose. This speaks of financial losses and losing money. And if you've done money, invested money, you know that the market goes up, the, money go, the market goes down. You, you invest money, you lose money, but the question of life is, uh, uh, can you be realistic and optimistic with your financial investments? Realistic that sometimes you're gonna lose money. Optimistic, man, sometimes you're gonna gain money. And then he talks about there's a time to uh, uh, keep and a time to throw away. A time to keep, a time to store goods up, a time to store items, and then a time to throw items away, to get rid of good items, which means that the Bible endorses garage sales. <laughs> Is anybody with me here? Uh, I know we got some closet pack rats up in here. The, uh, you're on the verge of being a hoarder. You throw, borderline, you throw nothing away. But there comes a time you got to sell some of that stuff, amen? One man's trash is another man's treasure. Make a few dollars, let it go. <laughs> and so he's giving us the permission here. So the question of life is, is it time to stock your house or clean your house? <laughs> then he talks about there's a time to tear and a time to sew. This speaks of tearing your clothes in grief or repentance. So for the Jews, they would tear their clothes, rent their clothes. There's a time to do that, and then there's a time to sew. That means to restore what was torn. Uh, it speaks of having a new day following repentance. So, so the question of life is, can you survive after grief? Or is every day you're renting your clothes and, and ripping? Oh, you're just so sad. and so There's more life to be lived. Why? Because God didn't take you. He took your relative, but he left you here. So stop renting. Stop grieving. I know we all grieve differently, but God expects you to live on. And in the midst of your living, deal with grief as you go, but you must live on. And then if you rent or tear your clothes because of repentance, can you, will you repent after you have sinned? Then he says to keep silence and to speak. There's a time for both. 
In other words, there's a time to not answer a fool, and then there's a time to answer a fool, and the question of life is, do you know when to be silent? And do you know when to speak up? Some of us speak up when we should have shut up. Some of us, let me see here. You should shut up. Thank you, Ron. You're helping me today, ain't you? See, brother got his mama next to him. He feeling good. Amen. Because your voice is your power. And you don't always have to use your voice. Because sometimes there's power in silence. Because folks are wondering, what are you thinking? And all this stuff is in Proverbs as well. So you don't always have to post something on social media. Every fight is not your fight. And every fight is not a good fight. Uh, you got to know when to speak, when not to speak. Then here's one here. To love and to hate. Uh-oh, uh-oh, Solomon, what are you talking about in verse 8? A time to love and a time to hate. Well, to love is easy. To love your neighbor as you love God and you love yourself. There's a time to do that. And the time is always on time to love. But then this hate thing. Now, now, now what's going on here? Time to hate. And some of us going to run out of here saying, there it is. See, I can hate my ex-husband. I can hate my lawyer. I, I can hate my school teacher. See, right there, it's in the book. Now, this is wisdom literature here. And wisdom literature uses uh, uh, figures of speech, alliteration, rhyme, simile, all that stuff. So we want to make sure we interpret the Bible with the Bible because there's nowhere in the Bible that God says it's okay to hate people. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Chris, I caught you, I got you. Because didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard it said that you can hate your enemy. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah, yeah, he said that. But let's go deeper in what he said. Jesus said, you have heard it said to hate your enemy. So we're assuming that that's somewhere in the Old Testament. But guess what? That's not in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, uh. So when Jesus said, you've heard it said, he said, I'm talking about what the culture's been talking about. Because Jewish people, Christian people can say things that sound good, but it ain't right. And it ain't in the book, but it's in the culture. And Christians quote the culture more than they quote the book. And Jesus was not so spiritual that he could not be earthly relevant. He says, I know what y'all talk about. It's been said to hate your enemy. And y'all have lifted that up above the command to love God and love your neighbor. But I'm here to let you know that God requires, I require you to love your neighbor and your enemies. So what's going on here? Jewish tradition permitted the Jews to hate their enemies. But not Jesus. So when he says there's a time to love and a time to hate, again, he's talking about the culture. People hate folk, but God causes us to rise above the culture. But we won't do that if our focus is under the sun and we're grasping for the wind. And the question of life is, will you know what to love and what to hate? Will you know who to love and how to love people who hate you? Let me say it this way. So when there's a time to hate, we know we're not to hate people, but there are some things we're supposed to hate, like a prideful look. We're supposed to hate discord between Christians. And so, so there's some stuff we are supposed to hate. And I think we need wisdom, Lord, would you show us when we're to hate evil and when we're to hate when people abuse other people. 
Help us, God. There's a time. There's a time, but I'm never to hate people. But finally, he says, uh, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Seems obvious, right? There will be just wars and unjust wars between nations. This has gone on from the beginning of time. I know we don't like what has been going on in Afghanistan for the past 20 years, but there will never be a time in life when there is not a war on the planet. And as we hasten towards the return of Jesus, there will be more wars that will come. Matter of fact, when Jesus comes back, he will fight in a war. So war is a part of life, but so is peace. A time when there will be peace between nations and peace between people. And the question of life is, will you keep your inner peace during times of war? And will you fight your inner battles during times of peace? There's so many things that we can ascertain from what the teacher, the Koheleth in the Hebrew, is giving to us. Solomon has just given us 28 things that life consists of. Listen to this, you mathematicians. And for every constructive activity, there is a destructive one. Did you see it? Did you see the contrast? For every constructive thing, there's a destructive thing, which means for every plus, there is a minus. And the mathematical formula, formula for life is 14 minus 14 equals what? Zero. Mankind has nothing but zero at the end of life. Because the negative cancels out the positive. And this is why Solomon said that life is in vain and, and life is meaningless and empty. 14 minus 14 is zero. I wish it could all be 14 positive all of the time. But 14 negative is here all of the time. And I walk away feeling empty and vain. So look at verse 9. What profit has the worker from that which he labors? I mean, if it's monotonous, if it goes nowhere, what's the profit? Verse 10, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. So everybody's in this cycle. You're born, you suffer, and you die. You're born, you suffer, and there are good moments along the way, but you're born, you suffer, and you die. Yet, 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 life still offers beauty, beauty within the vanity. Look at verse 11, part A. He has made everything beautiful in his time. You're just basically saying that this thing is empty, it's vain, it's monotonous, it's repetitive, it's going nowhere. But then you say God is able to make everything beautiful in his time. So what that means is when you got the 14 positives, enjoy the beauty of those moments without looking over your shoulder, knowing that the 14 negatives are coming. Live in the moment with the positive. And later in the book, he's going to say, when a day is going well, enjoy it. When a day is not going so well, recognize that God created both instances. So, so, so don't have high highs and low lows. Try to be balanced and steady in your journey in this life. Don't, don't get too high. Don't get too low. But find the beauty in the moment. Find the beauty in the midst of the ashes is what he's saying. And although humanity is in tension and we live in the monotonous routine of time, God did it this way for us to look two places. Look at the end of verse 11. He has put eternity in their hearts 
So, 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 so we're going through this thing. It's monotonous. But there's beauty. Let me find the beauty. But also let me look somewhere when, when I'm in this rat race and I'm chasing my tail like my dog. Let, let, let me look inward. Because looking inward will cause me to look upward. Because he set something inside of me called eternity. Being made in the image of God means that I'm going to live on forever. And there's more to life than this life. Uh, there's more things going on that I can't see than with what I do see. And I know that inside of my heart. There's more going on. Romans chapter 1 goes into that. Uh, what, what God has put in our hearts to know that there is a God. And knowing that there is a God meaning that there is eternity. So it says that he has put eternity in their hearts. What does that mean? For the evangelists, it means this. There is a void in each heart that only an eternal God can fill. Life leaves us empty, but God can fill us. He puts eternity in our heart, but we keep going to other things to fill the void rather than going to God, the one who made us and knows what's best for us. So we look within so that we can look upward and even look beyond to eternity to realize that there's more to life than this life. So I'm not going to stay focused under the sun, but I'm going to focus in the God who hung the sun and told it to stay there. I'm going to focus on the God who has my days, all of them written in his book before any of them came to be. There's more. And there's something in, him, in me that's calling me upward to see God and live for God. And this is where Solomon is working too. Yes. And although humanity is in this tension, God did it for us to look inward and to look upward, to see the eternal God in the midst of this fallen world. My favorite group outside of earth, wind, and fire is commissioned. And commissioned sings a song called Ordinary, Just Won't Do. And Hicks, I might ask you to come play it. No, should, should I sing it? Uh, the, the, the verse says, a quest in order to find what lies in the heart, the soul, and the mind. Sometimes serenity. Sometimes there's misery. So many weaknesses and faults. I must learn to share the innermost and secret thoughts. The ordinary person just won't do. I need someone, Lord, I need someone. And that someone is you. A quest in order to find. Oh, man, I want to sing so bad. I believe there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day. I believe it by faith. I'm going to get up here one Sunday. And I'm going to sing in tune. And it's going to be a work of God. I, I it's going to happen one day. I'm tone deaf right now, got this ear restructured, can't hear out of this ear. But one day, I'm going to hit the note and y'all going to be like, look at the miracle. I tell you, I know John's been praying for me, but one day. <laughs> With all of his wisdom, as I close, Solomon reveals to us that although life has seasons and cycles. God has a purpose in it all. There are moments of beauty in this life, and we should do well to enjoy them. And our gaze should be drawn once more to the one who is eternal.
God wants us to see and enjoy the beautiful moments of our temporal lives, and he also wants us to be drawn to life over the sun, which is in the eternal God. Now, what I'm about to say, please don't misunderstand. Please don't misinterpret this final illustration. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal with what I'm about to say. I'm just saying this to show you how I apply what I just preached. My mother went to glory on Thursday, July 29th at 6.43 p.m. When I got the call from my older sister, Kathy, I was cutting my grass. So when the call came from my sister and in our family, we had designed a plan for how we would communicate the news to each other, to our family, our extended family and friends. And, and my older sister would call her four siblings. And when I saw her call, I knew what the call was about. And she called and said, mom is gone. She's transitioned on to glory. We didn't talk long. Um, I hung up the phone. And when I hung up the phone, I sat down on my porch. Got away from my lawnmower. I sat down on the porch and I reflected. And after I reflected, I smiled. And after I smiled, I prayed and I thanked God. Then I called my wife and told her. I went inside the house and told my daughters. I made a few more phone calls, talked to Pastor Jerry, and I went back to cutting my grass. And I told Pastor Jerry that. I said, man, I'm, I'm going to go back to cutting my grass. Pastor, why would you do that? That's insensitive. No, cutting the grass for me at that time was an act of worship. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all as unto the Lord. It was an act of worship for me, and it was also a moment of tranquility. I knew that my mother was with Jesus, and I knew she would want me to finish what I had started. Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset, but eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. And because of what my mother was and is experiencing in the presence of the Lord, it gave me so much joy and it put meaning in my life as well as beauty in my life. So in that moment, it was a time of worship because I knew that my mother was free. She was no longer bound between two places. She was with God. So I went eternal and I said, Lord, I thank you. But I came back down, cut my grass because it was an act of worship and tranquility for me. So when you go through stuff and you get the phone call, you get the email, you, you get the diagnosis, the temptation is to stay under the sun and, and focus on the natural. But there's got to be someone and something in you that causes you to rise above the vicissitudes of life and see the eternal God, the one who not only makes everything beautiful in his time, but works all things together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. So your faith is able to help you overcome. Father, we thank you for the practical reality of the word of God. Thank you for Solomon teaching us from his mistakes. Help us to learn from his mistakes and even our own. Help us to have the right focus today to the eternal God. Thank you for putting eternity in our hearts. Thank you for reminding us there's more to this life than this life. And forgive us when we try to fill that hole with other things. Worry, anxiety, stress. 
Things as Christians we disguise with spiritual words. But Lord, we got to turn to you for real and trust you and realize that where we're going is better than where we are. But even right here, right now, there are beautiful things going on. <laughs> Help us to find you in the midst of it. Oh God, this is a good word as we're in this season where we don't know what's going to happen. But our faith says our God is in control. And because of that, we can chill. So bless the house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Boy, you going to play that right there like that, boy? Oh, man. That's good, ain't it?